Hi everyone and welcome to the Pama Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. I'm really delighted to be here with you today and I've got another great guest with me today, Marlena Graves, um, an author and um, a speaker and someone who's been really encouraging and inspiring to me and uh, to a lot of other people. So welcome to the show, Marlena. Uh, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, it's great for you to be here. It took a while to get here. We had a few technical problems, but we are now here. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So just tell us a bit about your story. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Jane. I, I guess the best way to frame uh, the beginning of my life is in using the word wilderness. And that was what my first book was about a beautiful disaster finding hope in the midst of brokenness and it was how God forms us in the wilderness um, and in the midst of our what I would call living hells or as the writer said moments of quiet desperation where is God in our suffering whether it's traumatic uh, life altering type of suffering or the kind of suffering we experience when we're trying to figure out our meaning and purpose in life, or just um, the tyranny of the ordinary. Uh, sometimes we can become very apathetic and disillusioned with life because we aren't who we thought we would be. And so yeah. that's what I talk about in my first book, about how where is God in all of that? And uh, I grew up very poor, uh, the type of poor where there are some times where I didn't have food to eat after school and where uh, my school lunch was the only uh, food I had. And uh, mm. I discovered that, as an adult, I discovered that my poverty, part of it was related to the mental illness in my family. My dad has bipolar and when he had episodes um, where he couldn't keep work or where he spent the money that he shouldn't. My dad's a wonderful person. It has nothing to do with intelligence or love. Uh, but, you know, that's a mental illness that affects people. Um, and so uh, I often say that my parents were trying to figure themselves out. And in the meantime, I had to parent myself and my siblings. And so when I was younger... You know, I didn't like television because I don't know why. Maybe it's just I'm a contemplative, I guess. It just was great on my personality. and Or maybe it's because there was just too much noise in my household and I desired quiet. And so a lot of times I grew up cutting wood with my dad and my siblings so he would have enough money to get to work. Um, and so I was out in nature a lot. And when I was done doing whatever chores I had at home, I would also, from the ages of 10 to 14 years old, I'd read the Bible for about two to four hours a day. Wow. And again, I, yeah, I didn't know at that time that Scripture was forming me in such a strong way until actually in my 30s and now. Like, I, as people say, I guess I get, have a God-haunted imagination, and, and, and my imagination, my formation is framed by Scripture. And so I... Um, Growing up, I figured, you know, if God could do this for Moses or Elijah or Mary with Jesus or um, 
Hannah and Samuel or Hezekiah when he gave Hezekiah 15 years of more of life? Why can't God answer my prayers now? And so I kind of just said, God, you did that for them. You could do it for me. And I would ask for certain things. You know, I remember one time, now I'm, I'm not the one to say whether God granted this or not. But I'm like, look, Solomon asked for wisdom. I'll ask for that. So I asked for wisdom and not riches. And, uh, um, and you know, there was that one point where I was in India and God healed me of amoebic dysentery on a trip, missions trip. And wow. uh, different provisions that God provided and showed his presence. And some people say maybe the poor see more of these things because we have nothing else to depend on. Now, poor mm. by the United States standards, not by world standards. Um, but I've always, I guess, have a sense of the presence of God, even in my wilderness experiences. Even if I can't feel him, I think you, God, I know God is present even if I can't feel him, often through other people, through the goodness and love of other people. Mm. And so my first book, I write about these different experiences and where God was and, and what he showed me. And so um, that is, I would say, is the major formation um, for the first half of my life, more than the first half. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's 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 incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, to have to live with so much at such a young age, as well, with a parent who's bipolar and so much poverty and uh, so much struggle. Um, I mean, those are reasons that people often give for giving up on God, because yeah. they blame God. You know, it's like, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you? Why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you? You know, save that person. Why didn't you make that person better? Why didn't you? give us some food like and but it seems that your experience is the opposite it's like in that kind of yeah that valley that that, that really like dark valley place you've the wilderness you've you've found god rather than kind of lost him yeah i mean i can't really explain why because i was the really the first practicing christian in my house i mean my parents would be nominal Christians at the time. Now they would, I would say they're practicing Christians. But my Juanita, the Roman Catholic, I, I didn't say this. I saw her read her Bible every day. And I'm like, I loved it so much. And I'm like, I will I read their Bible with a third grade education. I can. And I guess I think maybe part of the reason, I'm not going to make it a simplistic explanation, but part of the reason is that I read my Bible so much. And I saw the suffering in Scripture too. So... I saw that, you know, people throughout Scripture suffered. And I also think I didn't know how poor I was because I didn't really hang around people that had money. I lived in a poverty-stricken area. Uh, it wasn't until, well, I went to my friend's house in high school and I judged my poverty or riches based on the kind of shampoo she had. I thought they must be rich because they have expensive shampoo. Uh, and... Um, when I was in college, then I uh, and then I learned more of how poor I was because college students would just go out their um, belongings and things at the end of the year they couldn't fit them into their cars. And I went to a Christian college because my pastor's daughter went there. Uh, and then I think it was probably when I was like thirty, my early thirties, I figured out 
really just how poor I had been in the United States uh, based on the answer to some questions. Um, so I can't really say, I can I actually say a few things. You know, my abuela prayed for me. I had an uncle Craig who also had like a mental disability that told me to fear God and I didn't know what that was, but it, I finally figured it out. I think it's mysterious, but I also think that part of it is being based in scripture and believing that God is at work here today and that he didn't forget me, despite my suffering. Yeah, and, and, and how is... How's your your spiritual journey kind of developed? How is it? How's your relationship with with God kind of changed as your life is as your life has changed? Yeah, I mean, I still have a powerful sense of the divine. I mean, I have since I, I the earliest I can remember is four years old. Um, and so I think you know. I don't read the Bible as much as I used to, <laughs> like, um, but part of that's because I'm a mother of three girls, married, work. Um, I don't have that time that I had. Um, and I think, and I've been thinking about this lately, and, um, like, I'm rich compared to how I grew up. Um, yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't really know how to compare myself, but I'm rich compared to how I grew up. Because um, both my, me and my husband work. Um, yeah. But I had to climb out of generational poverty, so I can go and that's like another story. Maybe we can talk about that another time. But I've been thinking in the last few days about simplicity and, and the... In Matthew 13, where Jesus tells the parable of the sower and how the riches of the world squeeze out the gospel and different things. And mm. I was just thinking about being... Um, I feel less simple than I was growing up, James. That's my answer. You feel le- less full than growing up? simplistic, less of a child, even though I think I'm growing younger in the faith. Uh, like Gia, G.K. Oh, Chesterton. I love that. Talked talk about, I think I'm growing young, but I still think that me, like everyone else, I, like everyone else, I'll just speak for myself, I don't want to be um, distracted by riches and the pride of life. And when I say riches, I don't mean like a, I don't know if people would say I'm rich, but I just mean having more than I did when I grew up. I think there's something when I was younger, like not having as much stuff and having more time that allowed for a focus, uh, more of a concentrated focus. But I think I wanted my trust to become more childlike, like it was when it was younger. Mm. I don't want to have to rationalize things or reasons why God might not answer. Well, does that make sense? Absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great thing. It's when, when your faith becomes more childlike as you get older. Yes, um, and, it's, and it is, but it isn't. And as far as trust, it isn't what it was. I don't think so. Hopefully, I'll go back to that. It's going back, but uh, um, I feel like I've lost a little bit of that. But who knows? Who knows why? Um, but I still think I'm moving towards Christ and towards the kingdom. 
so I'm not moving away. I've just had a different experience as an adult. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's interesting because there's a lot of adults now who have been through kind of the traditional kind of church system, like evangelical church or progressive Christianity or either of those, um, and have like, and it just doesn't fit for them anymore, even though they still want to follow Jesus. You know, and I still follow Jesus. I, I still love Jesus. I, you know, um, and I still believe in Jesus, you know, but it's it's not, for me, the whole kind of structure of kind of evangelical church just doesn't work anymore, you know, and the language of it as well is kind of toxic for me because of spiritual abuse and things. Um, I mean, what's kind of been your journey in, in, in church? Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, well, I grew up in a world country church, and then I went to a Christian in university, uh, which I, I went there because my pastor's daughter went there. I didn't go there because um, I knew anything about uh, different Christian distinctives or what made one denomination different from another. I just thought there was Christian church or Christian university, non-Christian university. Uh, now I know a lot more than that. But um, I was a little bit disillusion there because I expected people would be very um, in love with Christ. It was my first exposure to Christian culture. I guess the good and the bad. And mm. some of the things that you alluded to maybe in your experience and in your journey. And but when I graduated, I had met my husband by that time. I said, we're never coming back here. It's too legalistic. And I, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. This is not who we are. It's not who I am. Um, but he ended up getting called to teach there for five years because uh, the man that was our philosophy professor told us the school was becoming uh, more, uh, what's the word, like more moderate and more like Wheaton College, which is still a conservative school, a good school here in the United States. Um, let me be careful how I say that. What I mean is it's a good school here in the United States, but it's conservative by any other university standard. I mean, they thought that Wheaton was moderate and liberal. That's what I mean. Um, and we went there. We had one, a wonderful experience with people. But then that university was taken over by fundamentalists. Um, people like Paige Patterson, who uh, just got kicked out. Um, oh, dear. He was removed from the Southwestern University in uh, Arizona because of mistreatment of a sexual abuse case. This man is the mm -hmm. one that um, orchestrated a fundamentalist takeover of the university where we work. And so they found reasons just to expel the people that weren't like them, of which my husband and I were one of them. Mm. Um, I guess we weren't whatever enough for them. And right. um, and so they couldn't get people out or get us out because of, like, uh, unethical behavior or bad teaching. So they just shut down my husband's department and got rid of most my bosses and my, I was in the student life department, got rid of the president of the school, the vice president of where I worked, and just made life miserable for other people to they leave. So we left. And I think that was the worst, and I'm kind of skimming over this. Uh, I go into more detail in Chapter 5 of my first book. But all that to say, it took five years for me to pray for my enemies 
and get over they they ruined hundreds of lives uh, and financially ruined and emotionally ruined people it's very traumatic and so to answer your question I've not been I did not grow up as I just told you in like a fundamentalist Christian culture I'm not sure what uh, exact uh, um form that takes there in the UK where you guys are at but here in the United States I didn't grow up in that I kind of visited it as a student and then again um, when we thought they were moving away from that as a staff member at the university where I worked and where my husband was a professor so my own churches that I've been to the individual churches we were in a Christian Reformed church now we're at a United Methodist church but the churches I've been to, they weren't like that. Um, I've had very good pastors and uh, influences in churches. And a lot of times I've been one of the leaders at them, at the churches that we've been at or on the pastoral staff. So I didn't get burned by churches. I got burned by a Christian organization that I guess thought it was a church. However, after going to seminary and learning is I feel a lot of people have a, uh, are reacting to more fundamentalist and legalistic Christianity. Mm. Um, the church is big. There's in America, there's the black church, Eastern Orthodox, the Roman Catholics, even, um, Episcopalians, Lutherans. And again, I don't know what your situation is, but people just think that, the church is either really conservative, legalistic, whatever name, whether it be Baptist or uh, Roman Catholic or whatever, legalistic um, arms of those churches, but the worldwide church is big. And I've seen God at work um, in different parts of the world and in different kinds of churches. So uh, in what I would say are like under the umbrella of Orthodox Christianity, and even some people think, well, some of these are progressives. They're not orthodox, but I've seen Christ there too. So I can't, I, 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 I mourn the, um, mm. if people are just reacting to more of a fundamentalist and legalistic kind of Christianity, if they're just walking away from it because of that, because that's not on a worldwide and historical um, view, that's not Christianity. And finally, I want to say, too, that I think a lot of people, after we went through what we went through at that institution, a lot of people asked me, why are you and your husband still Christians? And my answer to that was, is, if that's all I knew of Christianity, I might not be a Christian. But I've seen Jesus up close. I've seen saints. Uh, I've seen Jesus through people that I would say are saints. I've seen God at work. So I can't walk away from it, like you said. Mm. But I think it's important whether, you know, maybe someone's not in a, the traditional kind of church. You noted evangelical church. But you still might be part of a Christian community. Um, it might look a little bit different. But I also understand that sometimes people need breaks because they've been so burned. And yeah. so I'm not going to fault anyone for that whatsoever. I think we're going through a cleansing of the church and a judgment, and I think it needs to be done because there's so much corruption and 
misrepresentation of Christ that I think God's just cleansing us and it's painful. Um, yeah. I don't mean you, but I mean the, the institution, the worldwide church. Yeah. I see a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. My, yeah, my experience is, is interesting. Like, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out a new language to talk about God that, that doesn't involve anything that I've been part of before because the stuff I've been part of before, any of that language is just triggering to me now. So, sure. Um, and I've been... No, I'm sorry about that, James. I'm sorry. Oh, that's... Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not your fault. I mean, it's... You know, I just had some bad experiences and um, got burned and, like, I went, I was, you know, and I... Um, and that's what happened. I talked to my spiritual director today, even about it, about finding a new language mm-hmm. to talk about God because I want to talk to God. I want to, I want to be able to pray. I want to be able to um, experience the divine. I want to be able to talk about about Him or her in a in a way in a healthy way, which is good. Because I mean, I've had experiences. You know, I've seen people get healed. I have seen. You know, I've seen people speak languages they don't even know, um, which are legitimate languages <laughs> when they've been praying for people. I saw that. That wasn't that wasn't fake. That was real. That happened. So I can't deny those things that those things have happened. It's just it was it's all the yeah, the structure and the language around it and the and the way that they believe, the kind of dualistic kind of way of believing that I that I had to let go of, you know, and mm-hmm. um and kind of reconstruct almost I mean I don't like don't like the term reconstruct, but kind of build a new spiritual practice you know and um someone told me the real meaning of religion actually was 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 kind of basically just to do spirituality in community that's what it kind of that's what religion means um, okay. um it's about our relationship with other people and so i and and the and, and the practices that we have which connect us to god so i i can in a sense i can always kind of find my jesus religion in a way I'm part of a contemplative community, and I'm part of um, um, other other kind of small communities, which which help connect me to the divine in a different way. Um, and I'm finding my own spiritual practices. So, yeah, so it's possible. I mean, you don't need to be in the church to follow Jesus, you know, and um, you can still have community, spiritual community, Jesus community, without kind of traditional boundaries of kind of what people call the evangelical church and i think everyone everyone's just on their own journey and everyone's got their own experiences i think mm-hmm. yeah to me you know or two or three are gathered together in my name there i am in the midst of them yeah and i think about people i mean i think it's important to gather with other christians like i said but um Yeah. I understand if people are burnt, so you don't want to do that. I think, you know, people might need a break. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, like some people have house churches. You mentioned contemplative communities. And God's not going to, um, well, Jesus himself got mad at the church of his time. You know, he said, you brood of, uh, you know, brood of vipers and these uh, whitewashed tombs. So it wasn't like Jesus was, um, he saw what was being done the people and how they were being oppressed and he talks about that in Matthew 23 and 22 and 23 to the Pharisees how you know you make people twice the sons and daughters of hell that you are and you know we just have our modern versions of that and um, 
you know, I have to make sure that I don't act like what I loathe to the people that have hurt me, which would be so easily, so easily, easy to do, excuse me. Um, but I, you know, have to hang on to Jesus and, you know, hopefully he can bring us to a healthy place to see, you know, how to serve in his kingdom. But I never want to, I, well, I wouldn't shame anybody or, you know, if someone's having a hard time with the church. Well, for good reason, you know, we've had mm-hmm. hard, uh, you know, again, I don't know if I would be a Christian if that's all I knew of Christianity. If I had just known what I experienced, you know, uh, through that traumatic time, I might not be, and I might not want anything to do with it. But luckily, it sounds like you have to run across people that are very Christ-like and who I want to be like. Yeah, and that's all. I mean, that is really encouraging, actually, that that those people are out there and that there are healthy expressions of that, which are good for people and. Yeah, and I think actually, for, I think for people who've been who've been on a journey like I've been on, it's really easy to kind of get dualistic again and say, "Oh, like all of Christianity is is bad, all of the church is bad, all of the, you know," and just kind of like separate themselves off into something else, which actually I, it can be quite unhealthy and dualistic again. And I think like what I'm trying to find is a way to say God can be in all of these places, um, even if I can't be in those places you know oh that's a great way to say it and yes, i think about that too the really more legalistic i mean i've seen god in different places that's wonderful yeah i mean and i also think that there's different denominations not that i i don't love the disunity but i also think god allows for our personalities and who we are for us to maybe um be attracted to certain things you know some people are more liturgical more charismatic some are a mix um so while i don't i wish you know it'd be nice if we were all literally one in the church and the church was unified um in this fallen world i think that kind of makes allowances for where we are and allows us to move certain directions where jesus is at yeah, that's right. And I still love Jesus and I still love those stories Absolutely. and the teachings and stuff. When I go back and read them, you know, it's, it's they're beautiful, you know, and love love one another, forgive one another, love your enemies, you know, those kind of yeah. things. They're just wonderful, you know. Um, like, it's just, yeah, really inspiring. And, um, you know, the the courage and the sacrifice and the, you know, the forgiveness that he showed. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, he's, yeah, he's a big part of my life. And I find sometimes I resonate with a lot of his story, which is great, you know, and that's, and I think that's, I think that's a way in for all of us. So there's parts of Jesus story, which can connect with our stories. So there's a very human side to Jesus, which, I think we can connect to. Mm, mm. Yes, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you talk a lot about the love of God. Yes. I mean, what's kind of your 
experience or understanding of the love of God? You know, I really, I learned it as a teenager, and, you know, maybe another time we could talk about it, but that God really loved me. I used to hear, you know, God loves you, or used to see it on bumper stickers, but it didn't really hit me. And I think a lot of the toxicity that you mentioned and that we both experienced and many other people have experienced is due to a bad view of God. And uh, Dallas Willard said, um, your view of God will determine your whole life, you know, how you view God. And so I think we've grown up maybe in a Christianity, like part of a false teaching is like angry and fearful, maybe mixed with or at least here in the United States, mixed with politics, um, where people want to scare you into a relationship with God or force you into a relationship with God or shame you into a relationship with God. And I kind of think, you know, like what the Bible says, like Jesus is the image of God on earth, his incarnation, and all sorts of people like Jesus. You know, there were tax collectors, you know, John the Baptist and some of the others that followed him, they were called Estes, so they were like more contemplatives out in the desert. Um, yeah. There were people like Judas, they were like, you know, let's just take them all down with swords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of our modern, the, the, the disciples were like a microcosm, I think, of society, had different political views, etc. But even then, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, or a you know, or he came by night, he was a teacher. Joseph of Arimathea was a really rich man that provided a burial plot for Jesus. Women who uh, uh, were part of his gang that helped provide out of their money. Um, Susanna out of uh, Herod's household, right? Yeah. Um, so this motley crew of people, children love Jesus. And I would think, always think to myself, look at all these kinds of people that were attracted to Jesus all sorts, um, and even if they were moving away from God and choosing death by the decisions they made, some of them, like the woman on the well, or uh, Zacchaeus, which I talk about in my new book, like the love that he showed for them, I always like, you know, that verse that says in a song, God um, God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's love. Um, where we see what we've done, but we're not wormed. We're not shamed. It's just like, this is not good. When we encounter God, what we're doing might not be good. It's, it's um, working death into us, not life. I always think we have to choose between life and death. Moses talked about that. Jesus talked about the way, the truth, and the life. And so I really think God delights in us. He looks us in the eye with delight and joy. And I think that's maybe why I talk about it, because I know he loves us deeply and he wants what's best for us. And hopefully his love and goodness and mercy will break through the false images and ideas that we've been taught, the heresy we've been taught about Mm -hmm. God. Yeah. And so I've seen this a lot in the early church. The Eastern Orthodox teach a lot about this, and the Roman Catholics. I kind of think that some of the even our evangelical teaching after the Reformation has made God really um, 
as a crusader and angry and mean and heavy-handed. Mm. And that's not the God I saw reading in Scripture. Yes, there was stuff in Scripture that you're like, what? Uh, I mean, I'm, there's other people to talk to more about that. But I actually think uh, that Dallas Willard also said something like, you just be careful what you think about God because Jesus is the God, Jesus is God and like God. So when you want to know, we've heard this before, when you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. So I think that's why I think that we are deeply loved and liked and adored the apple of God's eye. And I want to treat other people and I want to see other people the way that God sees us. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And I mean, I've seen you on Twitter as well and you, you live this out on Twitter. I mean, like I don't know what obviously I've never met you in your day to day life, but certainly on Twitter, like I just see that that love coming from you a lot for for everyone, and it's inclusive and it's and it doesn't judge and it um, and it forgives and it's it's so full of grace and I just see that in in what you do and in what you write and and in how you interact with people on social media especially and. Well, it really comes through, I think. Um, well, thank, well, thank you. And I hope to live that in my everyday life. I, I mean, I'm not perfect. I do get impatient and stuff. But I take seriously what Jesus, uh, you know, not only on the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, in the Psalms where it says you got to love your, I think it's Psalm 15. Um, maybe someone will crush me, but, you know, you got to lo- uh, love your neighbor. It doesn't say exactly that, but you're, from your heart. So if I'm holding uh, ill will towards other people, hatred, dislike, even the people that were acting like enemies to me, I knew how to, I mean, and it could take years for someone, depending on the transgression, someone might have been sexually abused, beaten, hurt. So I'm not talking about that kind of uh, forgiveness and love of enemy, because that can take a while. Oh, it's miraculous. It might take someone's whole life. But I realized that you know, God judges my heart, and so um, uh, what's on the inside needs to be clean. And so, oh, believe me, I, you know, there's wickedness in me. Um, but hopefully, I can be true, uh, honest about it to God and to those close to me, and confess that. And uh, I'm glad to hear that some of it comes out on Twitter. That's that's a blessing to me to hear. Yeah, and it really, I mean, I really mean that. It's its really, and it's been an encouragement to me, certainly, when things have been difficult for me. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely take that encouragement. I mean, it's really, one thing, I think the, one of the hardest things people to love, some of the hardest people to love are our enemies and the people yeah. who've hurt us, I think. And... Um, and, and really forgive them and release them from, like, that kind of need for vengeance and need for um, revenge, you know, those kind of things. I mean, how do you love your enemies? Um, yeah, well, I know that Jesus says to love your enemies in Matthew 44. So with the way we were really badly hurt, you know, I mean, I had hatred. I discovered my first time in my life I actually have hatred. I'm capable of hatred um, because they hurt not only us, but a lot of people and children that said they no longer want to be Christians because of how they acted. So there was real world, again, financial, emotional. 
I think every kind of harm except for physical. Um, I, unless you count this uh, illness related to stress. Um, I guess that counts. But um, I think about Jesus loving his enemies. Yeah. And I know that's what I need to aim for. But I realize, and, and uh, maybe like you and other of your listeners, that I might not be at that point right away. So then I start with, okay, God, help me to want to love them. You know, so for me, the process was like, okay, help me to want to love them. And I try to pray for them, even though I can't like, oh, God, you know, not only am I praying that you don't strike them dead, but I'm praying that you, well, let them flourish. You know, even if I don't feel it in my heart, it comes out of my mouth. Um, other ways, though, that I love them, you know, when I start praying for them, that, try, that like, uh, jogs the juices inside for love because I've heard it said you can't hate people that you pray for you know I don't know I mean eventually you won't hate them um but then I like you said like I'm like okay I can't take vengeance on them I know a lot of bad stuff on uh I have a lot of dirt on people that have hurt us but I don't necessarily publicly pronounce it right because that would be just for my own satisfaction I'm not talking about it's like now if they're hurting someone else, if they're abusing someone else, I'm going to talk about it. I'm not talking about that kind. But I'm mm. not going to dish the information unless it's like necessary for other people. Um, you know, if someone else is being abused or hurt. And sometimes I've had to say, look, this place is still hurting people. They need to be held accountable. Um, and uh, so I would do that. I just rested I would read Psalm 37 for over a year where it says don't let wrath um, take hold you know in you uh, I sat in Psalm 37 for at least a year or more maybe a couple years uh, maybe a couple years and uh, praying and angry and I talked to people James I talked to people yeah. I confessed my anger and my hatred and, and my hurt um, it was really, we were really badly hurt and wounded along with other people. Uh, and yeah. so I think to the point where I don't wish them ill or wish them harm or actively like on the internet harm them with my words on purpose to harm them. I mean, there might be a time where you have to speak the truth about what they're doing. That's different. That's loving them because sometimes people need to know these people are abusive and they need to be held accountable. That's love because sometimes people use the tell you to be quiet and not say anything because you're being divisive or hurtful, and that's toxic. Yeah. And there's an abusive person or situation. So I start with prayer. I confess all the time. And so probably after five years, I got to the point where inside my heart, I don't hate them. And now when I hear about them, I don't right away have a visceral reaction or I don't fantasize about ways of taking them down because <laughs> in the early days I did yeah but I didn't act on them <laughs> and barely I could have almost acted on them you know I just uh that's the way that I love them but do I have like the greatest of feelings for them and think they're jolly no they're a lot of them are still scoundrels and um I will tell people, don't send your kids to that university because of this. If they ask me, 
but I'm not going to spend my time focusing on them because that takes my focus off Christ. Yeah, that's for us. So prayer, confession, and not actively trying to sabotage them is a way that I love those enemies. And wishing that their families flourish. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really amazing, and it is. I think that I do think that's one of the one of the toughest ways that we can love is uh, some of the toughest kind of people that we can love are the are is like, I mean that's one of the hardest commandments loving our love your enemies. You know, I think mm-hmm. we sometimes I think we we kind of go we take that and we think love our enemies apart from those people apart from those people because they're just beyond. They're, they're beyond um, the pale, you know. Um, they, they, we can't love them. They, we can't. We can't have anything positive about them because, because of who they are, or what they've done, or what they've said, or what they believe, or, or something, you know. And that's and that's not unusual because we're human. And mm-hmm. when we see evil and we see bad people and we see people doing wrong things and injustice, it's natural to be angry. Um, yeah. And. It is. It just. It does take time to forgive. I mean, I remember I had a lot of forgiveness to do for, for stuff in my childhood, and, and I remember the remember the moment when I realised I'd forgiven them was, was when I went to talk about it with somebody, and I went to the place in my brain where that memory was and that pain was, and it wasn't there anymore. It was like it was, it was like a part of my brain had been emptied. Like, you know, it was like literally. Oh, that's not there anymore. Like I literally felt it in my. Well, I don't. Know, this sounds really weird, but I, I literally felt it in my brain. Like that, that that area of pain had just gone. It, it literally had mm-hmm. disappeared. Like, and it's like, oh, that happened. That kind of crept up on me, you know, um, because I've been working on the forgiveness like for quite for a while, you know, for a few years, and it had happened. Um, yeah. And it is a really great thing when it happens. There's a certain freedom to it. Because they're no longer living rent free in your head, kind of thing. So, um, and you can just release it, and you don't have to feel any grudge or any pain anymore. You, but you don't, you don't have to like them. But you can just right. re- you can just release release them in a way, like to the world, and not and not carry it around with you anymore. That's right. And you know, one thing you said reminded me that another thing I do is I look at myself and my own sin. Like, hey, I might have not been what they did, but I certainly have, like, I don't struggle in their kind of craziness, their crazy toxicity, but I have my own thing. So I try to look at the log in my eye um, and try not to look at the speck in others. And that's a way, too, that I'm able to forgive because keeping in mind like the, the parable of the servant who was forgiven and then someone else asked, for a forgiven debt, and they didn't want to forgive them and throw them in jail. But I've been forgiven so much that I, you know, like the Bible's like, God says, like, you know, you've been forgiven, so forgive others. Um, and I try to look at my own sins and struggles to remind me that I am not better than other people. I just struggle differently. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's right. That's that's, that's so wise. And we all struggle differently. It's not, it's not like some people struggle and some don't. We just struggle right. differently um, with different things, you know. And yeah, that's right. Very wise. Um, so, oh wow. So, 
yeah um that that's amazing thank you for sharing all of this with us today molina it's been really inspiring and uh really encouraging well it's been a privilege to be on this show with you and of course i uh hope for your flourishing and and the flourishing of those that are listening thank you and where can people find you where can people connect with you online uh yeah you can um find me on twitter at marlena prober graves i have a marlenagraves.com uh website and uh, you can just type in my name or uh, i have my spanish name uh up but you can just type in marlena graves you'll find me um online or marlenagraves.com and uh, you can look where books are sold for my first book a beautiful disaster finding hope in the midst of brokenness and my next one is coming out next year a year from now and it's called uh the way up is down oh, that's and an awesome title that's an awesome yeah, title the way up is down and it's about uh kenosis but i'm not talking about it in a technical way but basically like emptying ourselves that we may be full like Jesus did, becoming the servant of all. I'll definitely have to have you back and talk about that book. Um, Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, and also about all those other things you mentioned that we didn't really go into. Um, I think there's there's loads more we can talk about in future episodes. So, um, yeah, I look forward to welcoming you back. Um, Okay, thank you. Yeah, and so thank you for coming on, and um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, Have a good week, and uh, take care.